You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. Hi, folks. Be sure to visit my website at dr-history.com for a short personal video message, to listen to the latest stories, and to leave a comment. Right now, it's time for the one, the only, Dr. History, and he's on our program. Zebeth Ranch has been for many, many years, and a good morning, Doctor. How are you? I am great. Beautiful day out there, sunny. Oh, nice. We've, we've waited for this. This is so nice. We have waited for this with bated breath, yes. and you and I have been begging for warmer temperatures, <laughs> blue skies, and it is here. Right. And, and I just mentioned to you what a great day I had Saturday riding my motorcycle with the uh, veterans, that the combat nice. veterans in a fundraiser. And what a great uh, patriotic weekend, really. You know, it, it was. I mean, it really was Memorial Day. Yeah. And uh, I urged everybody last week to just stop, pause, reflect on what has been given to them. Yep. Because of the sacrifices of others. I mean, we live in the greatest country in the world, but we've got to take care of it. We do. We do. Absolutely. Yep. I yep. salute you for going on that ride. Well, I, I'm, I'm saluting myself for not crashing. <laughs> <laughs> and there's others on the ride that are also saluting you for That's not true. crashing. Anyway, oh. so last week, Zeb, you requested Indian medicine. You know, there, let me ask you this. I've read a lot of books, and there are a lot of them on the various bookcases in my office. Office, that the Indians, per se, whether they were the Shoshone or whether they were the Sioux or whether they were the Cheyenne or whatever tribe, they really had some innovative ideas on medicine, they did. didn't they? And that's what we're going to talk about. Okay, go ahead. So, you know, through thousands of years of trial and error, uh, humans found methods of treatment for wounds and illnesses. They had to. So in North America, of course, the Native Americans were the first caregivers, and by the time the American colonies were settled, the quality of medical practice of the Indian was at least comparable and maybe even better than that of the European people. Hmm. So, uh, you know, the Indian men and women had identified lots of herbs to treat common illnesses. They knew about uh, uh, things to break a fever, uh, tonics, astringents, antiseptics, and natural remedies, and the native healers also understood the value of massage, bandages, splints, suturing. Get that, Zeb, suturing. Really? Uh, applied heat uh, and uh, enemas, okay, sweat lodges, and... I'm sure, bl- glad you brought that one. <laughs> well, yeah. uh, this show may... Uh, I'm just warning you ahead of time, Zeb, I'm going to get into some stuff here. Okay, all <laughs> so, right. Uh, anyway, sweat lodges and bathing in natural hot springs uh, were used to treat lung diseases, skin disorders, rheumatism. Uh, the Indian also valued rest, nutrition, uh, fluid intake, and maintaining good health. Uh, some native healers became specialized and developed skills that gained them a degree of renown among their peers. So, you know, we look at today, this, we have specialists that do certain things, and I had never thought of that before, but they had certain shaman or medicine men that were maybe very good at one particular part of 
of healing. Let me ask you this question. You know, I know the records probably aren't there because, you know, they were a people that didn't record their history. I'm, I, you know, unless right. it was paintings on the wall in a cave exactly. or whatever. But how do we know how they knew what to do? I mean, is there some way we can go back in history and learn how they learned that information? Okay. To learn how they learned it, yeah. I don't think we do. The only the knowledge we have today is basically from white men that went and lived among the Indians, and they they're the ones that wrote down what we know about what they used, and some things they used that they still didn't know what it was. Really? So, but you know, uh, actually, ancient, ancient surgeons knew how to do a technique called trephine of a skull. Okay, that is basically they used like a circular saw. Oh my goodness! To remove a circular portion of bone from the skull. Okay. okay? And they uh, to and they did that to relieve intracranial pressure. How did they know? <laughs> you know. You know. I don't mean to keep asking these yeah. questions, and I'm not trying to be naive about this. But really, when you look back two, three hundred years. And you say that they did this, you have to have some kind of a of a resource that says, well, they must have had a symptomatic for this, that, or the other thing. And and how somebody decided, you know what, let's cut a hole yeah. in this guy's skull. Yeah, I mean... Well, you know, and, and you might look at it this way. Okay, maybe the guy's going to die anyway. So at this point, okay... Well, aren't you the eternal optimist? <laughs> let's just do something, yeah. e- even if it's wrong. And so they would actually cut this circular piece of the skull out to relieve the pressure. Oh, my goodness. And for, uh, even from... And no anesthetic. Oh, no, no. Well, we don't think, but maybe the guy was out anyway. Yeah, you know? my. But, you know, pressure from a depressed skull, from fractures. You know the guy had to have skull fractures, which was a common uh, injury at the time. Now, the Incas actually used uh, spike clubs of copper or stone to settle their disagreements. So that gave surgeons a lot of practice. Uh, so, you know, that this surgery was successful and prolonging some lives uh, is evident from the healing around these cuts that they have discovered in in uh, discovered skeletons really yeah so now now here's this too zeb they had obsidian knives that were as sharp as any surgical knife you're kidding the obsidian they had copper forceps they had suture material of human or animal hair and analgesic substances derived from the cocoa and other plants they used a fine mesh cotton gauze uh, crude antiseptics together with the knowledge of anatomy uh, allowed these Indians to uh, surgeons to perform actually amputations treat fractures and remove arrows you know don't you feel like I do sometimes that when we get to looking back in history not necessarily just our Western culture here in the United States but way back that maybe the rise and decline of civilization shows that other other lifestyles and other people of the world maybe were farther advanced than we were? Well, when, I don't have this in my notes today, but if you look at China, you know, the emperors, their doctor's job was to keep the emperor healthy because if the emperor died, so did their doctors. 
Oh, they were working 24-7. <laughs> they wanted that guy to live, live, live a long time. Is there time. such a thing as leaving the practice? <laughs> I don't think so. So anyway, getting back to the Old West, okay, in later centuries, you know, the Indians did, uh, did not commonly perform surgery other than the occasion, occasional, like, lancing of an abscess uh, and other superficial procedures. Most of the native doctor's methods were non-invasive, but he could on occasion... Enter the mouth to treat a problem with an <laughs> with an animal bladder as a syringe and a hollow bone as a tube, and these were used to clean the entire lower intestine, to instill herbal concoctions or to give nutrients. Well, now we're close to lunch. <laughs> there goes all those advertisers. Oh, I, oh I've got more Zeb. <laughs> I'm not done. <laughs> Can you tip that mic down? Just sure. Is that better? Yeah. yeah. Okay. There you go. All right. There you go. So. Anyway, you know, as white explorers and the immigrants came west, some of them witnessed and recorded the Indians' medical expertise. And this is where I say we get most of our knowledge from these people that that saw what happened. Yeah. So according to those reports, medicine men produced some miraculous cures. In 1721, a guy by the name of Pierre Charlevoix, obviously French, described what he called admirable results. Okay? A broken bone that was perfectly solid in eight days. Now, wait a minute. Okay, don't. God, I'm just, I, I'm just giving you the message, Zeb. Wow. Eight days. Eight days? Now, anyway, well, now another account reported the case of a French soldier cured of epilepsy by a pulverized root. And who knows what that is? Because, you know, the people that saw this, they didn't know what, what it was, some kind of a root. Now, no, well, stop. I mean, if there was any historical record of that, and you could go back in history and trace that, I mean, wouldn't that be more than appropriate to study for today? Sure, you bet. And and herbology is a is a huge thing now, and, and we people are studying it more and more to learn what helps. But uh, there's a book uh, uh, called Doctors in the American Frontier, and there's a guy named Richard Dunlop. And he described how a Cheyenne doctor treated William Bent of Bent's Fort for a throat infection, and they thought it might actually be diphtheria. So here's what he did. Quote. Oh, this is going to be good. I can feel it. <laughs> the medicine man strung a sinew with sand burrs. Okay, that's like a cockle burr. Yeah. All right, got it. Dipped it into hot buffalo tallow fat, right? This he forced down Bent's throat with a peeled stick. When the tallow melted, he jerked the string out, pulling the infected membrane with it. Bent survived. <laughs> What's for lunch? <laughs> you know, I'm sitting here. I don't think I could make a face worse than what I have right now. I mean, holy, repeat that again. He put cockleburs okay, okay, on there? Okay, now let me read it again. Okay. okay. Quote, the medicine man strung a sinew. Okay, okay, like a string. Okay. Like it, it, it's about maybe two, three feet long. Right. Okay. Uh, uh, with sin, with sand burrs, which sand I can burrs. only assert uh, is is like a like a cockle burr. They are sharp. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So now he dips. And he stuck those on the on, on the, the sinew. on the sinew. Yeah. Okay. So he dips it into hot buffalo tallow. Okay. Oh. This he then forced, which gives he me. He made the, the guy swallow it. Yeah, which I get the impression Bent wasn't really gung-ho on this procedure. Well, duh. <laughs> so, anyway, he says he forced it down Bent's throat with a peeled stick. Okay. Oh, my gosh. When the tallow melted, he jerked the string out, pulling the infected membrane with it. <laughs> 
So, okay, so I guess that was your first eye, ear, nose, and throat guy. Ladies and gentlemen, do not do this at home. <laughs> now, another guy, another observer, his name is Jonathan Carver. He witnessed the use of a plantain, uh, which is not the banana. But it is a plant that has never been identified. But they call it a plantain, which I've always thought was a like a like a banana. You've seen those probably. But as an anti- now, why am I cringing further away from? <laughs> oh, no, we're you? okay. We're okay now. <laughs> but anyway, this plantain that's never been identified as an antidote to venomous snake bites. You're kidding. Now, according to his report, the Indians were even willing to demonstrate its potency by allowing a snake to bite them, then spitting the chewed herb. Onto the wound. Rattlesnakes, of course, were abundant on the plains, and bites were common. And another popular treatment was a brew of the root of the rattlesnake weed. And it's got the technical name Echinacea angustifolia. Echinacea? Yeah, which we, Isn't you know, there something today? Oh, yeah, they use that for colds and flus yeah. and stuff. So, anyway, so this uh, rattlesnake weed would be poured into the fang punctures. And it wasn't hard to convince the early frontiersmen to use similar methods. I mean, it worked. Uh, it did? Yeah. But Plains people, you know, and early white traders uh, used a related species called pale purple coneflower. And that, its technical name also is Echinacea pallida. So okay. this echinacea must be a common, uh, and that was for rattlesnake bites or as well as for insect stings. Got a question for you, Dr. I knew you History. would. Yes, <laughs> I do. I mean, did they keep this stuff on hand in case of snake bites, or did all of a sudden somebody say, I just got bit by a snake, go find that flower? <laughs> well, now that's a good question, because my thought is, uh, are some of these herbs that they uh, got in the uh, and dried them and kept them yeah. on hand, yeah. or did they have to be fresh? There you go. So there you go. I don't know. Well, so, you better check on that. I better that. find out. Anyway, call, the, call the medicine man, would you? <laughs> I'll do that. But you know, modern medicine is is skeptical of some of the stories of Indian healing methods, but we can't be sure. Uh, scientists to continue to search for answers to the mystery of uh, Native Americans, Indians, but. Oh, thing to keep in mind, Zeb, is that a lot of the tribes have guarded specific details from outsiders. You know, when you were talking about snakes, though, I have asked you on many programs, how in the world did the Indians survive? Because the kids are all playing. I've read a lot of stories where many, many children were bitten. Yeah, but if they had the cure, you know, and, and I, don't think, I don't think they probably saved everybody. Uh, you know, but obviously they had something that worked. But uh, anyway, there was one frustrated Seneca Indian elder. He, he was a respected medicine man, medicine man, and he said to his families, when strangers arrive, he said, quote, hide the sacred things. The big heads are coming. Hide this. Well, we've said that about our relatives, too. <laughs> hide. The, oh, Zeb. Hide the sacred things. So, so. The Indians kind of wanted to keep things, uh, uh, I guess, secret, so to speak. Anyway, you know, most early Christian observers could not understand the rituals of the Native American healers and viewed their practices kind of a pagan thing, even sacrilegious. Uh, To the few outsiders who looked beyond the medicine man's pageantry, it was obvious that many Indian cures were as effective as those prescribed by European doctors, if not better, if not more so. Uh, well, did they keep something written down or or uh, I, it somehow? was just passed down it was just passed down and in order to become a medicine man i, I don't remember the details now you had to work with the medicine man for like 
eight or ten years or twelve years before you could be considered a medicine man. So, really? So he had to learn from from the medicine man and the Indian women, I'm sure, too. But uh, uh, another thing white culture could not fathom was the way Native Americans viewed mental illness. Uh-oh. Indians, and now this is a surprise to me, Zeb, because I always thought they were kind of afraid of people with yeah, mental... Yeah, they thought that they were basically yeah. taboo. Right. But I And I didn't realize this, but it says Indians actually tolerated insane people and treated them with kindness. Most medicine men understood human nature, and they were actually successful in treating something we call hysteria. Really? Yeah. And these practices, you know, contrast sharply with the brutal way that the I men... Wonder, I wonder if they'd come back today and work with the Democrats. <laughs> they could. <laughs> oh, you always go down that road. <laughs> anyway, you, you know, you compare that with uh, what the white people did to mentally ill people years ago. <laughs> I mean, they put them in sale asylums, they use shock treatments, they do, you know, all kinds of things. Anyway, uh, so let's just keep going here, Zeb. Quit smiling. You mentioned something <laughs> earlier before we run out of time, and I know you're going to do it to me, so I'm just going to go ahead and ask you. Oh. You mentioned about they performed enemas? Let's just move right along, okay. Zeb. <laughs> they did whatever it took. Okay. Now, another thing that's kind of interesting is the Native American viewed the word medicine in a totally different uh, form than we do in the white world, because religion and healing were inseparable. Okay, the spiritual and the and the physical were entwined. So, uh, you know, there's a lot of Indians that saw disease as a disturbed relationship between humans and the supernatural world. Now, according to one tribe, dwarf spirits caused disease by shooting invisible arrows into people. There were also some taboos, such as eating food prepared by a woman uh, that was menstruating, women or using cruel words, or violence against a friend or loved one. Ignoring a taboo could bring on pain, weakness, illness, or injury. So there was some... Taboos there that, of course, we look at it now and say, no, that's... Yeah, you kind know. of some hokey-pokey yeah, stuff. Yeah. yeah, But, you know, over thousands of years, it has developed a combination of health care and religion that was complicated, rit- ritualistic, yet also practical and sensible. Uh, the Indian found therapy not only in ceremonial prayer, chanting, and the sounds of a drum or a rattle, but also in the laying on of hands and, get this, Zeb, counseling. Counseling, really? yeah. Really? The sweat lodge you know, comparable to Asana, was important to religion as a place for prayer and purification. But it was also therapeutic, and we know that now. Well, let me ask you, all of a sudden the name escapes me, help me. The Indian tribe, South America, uh, that were so Incas, well, Incas or Aztec- they were so well advanced over oh, yeah. civilization at that time. Uh, and they died off, and we have no records of no. anything, do we? Just, like I said, the skeletons that they found with holes in their skull from surgery healed. So, but, you know, uh, these rituals that were conducted in this uh, uh, sweat lodge, uh, you know, they it also there was an aromatic herb that they used to use sometimes. But the sweat lodges, uh, you know, were used in as an ancient form of therapy. And you wonder, after all you're saying, in all sincerity, how? How did they know? Where did they learn this? You know, one thing, too, Zeb, I found in reading this is that... Uh, Different tribes kind of had some different things. Did they? So there's some things that were unique to a particular tribe and maybe something unique to another tribe. Really? Yeah. So, so I know it wasn't just kind of all taken in by all tribes. No. No, there were different things across the country. I see. Now, 
To many Indians, medicine meant a charm, and each group kept in his teepee a medicine bundle that contained the spirits of the, quote, helpers it needed for healthy survival. You know, probably the herbs and stuff. Hmm. But bundles contained a variety of articles that were deemed sacred based on a tribe's myths and traditions. Now, some of these items might include animal skins, headdresses, shields, knives, pipes, bones, arrowheads, or other things of significance to the tribal history or to that individual. The tools of the trade are what really uh, infatuate me uh, to the point where I'm sitting there going, how did they know how to build them and how did they build them? Well, even, even to figure out how to suture a wound. Oh, know. my goodness. So, but you know, And the pain factor. Those yeah. people, when they went to the doctor, it was not a pleasant experience. <laughs> no. But, you know, this, this thing they had in their, their bundle, uh, that gave them great power, they figured. Really? You know, and it was treated very specially. Um, you know, the... Uh, well, I know we're about out of time here. So I, just wanna... I, I am, but i got to ask you this. Okay. What about tooth problems? <laughs> And the reason I said that I got a toothache this morning, what did they do then? You know, I've got a story in this book oh, about bet you do. about dentistry in the old days. And, and it's probably going to make me cringe. <laughs> more so than what we've just talked about. Oh, no. Now, one th- quick thing, Zeb. It was common for the Indians to leave the old to perish on the prairies. Okay? Really? The severely injured adults and children alike were also re- regularly abandoned to their fate. In the Crow and other tribes, custom accepted this infanticide to control population, especially during famine or drought. And the kind of behavior may seem cruel, but it served the common good. So they basically practiced infanticide? Yeah. So if you had a sick baby or an injured or or an older person, there was a point where you just kind of left them and... You know, yeah, that does sound bad. I know wow. I've heard of them in the wintertime yeah. having an older person. Okay, so just next, live next week, I'm only down to a minute left, but next week you're going to talk about the Old West dentists. I'll see what I can find. That's what I'm afraid of. <laughs> and you know, there is nobody that fears a dentist more than I do. <laughs> oh, I, I got to admit, I, I'm i not a faithful. And you've got a story that'll curl my hair. I probably do. I bet you do. <laughs> Doctor History, you did it again. Very interesting. Oh, r- real quick, for the. I, I know some listeners don't know, but you go to the to the internet and type in Doctor History or Podcasts of the Old West on Google, and I come up. Or in iTunes, okay. you'll find just talk. Just uh, type in the Doctor History or Podcasts of the Old West. Then you can listen anytime you want. Okay. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live.